0: Good morning, everyone. Well, I am, uh, my name is Brent Compline, if you don't know me. Um, I've been around on staff here for a while at Solano. I'll tell you a little bit about more about myself, but I'm a church planter in San Francisco, part of Solano. So we have been working in the city for a number of, of uh, well, a couple years now. But I'm filling in for the next few months on an interim basis doing some assistant pastor role here after Alex uh, and Andrew Franklin moved. So I'll be seeing more of you. You'll see me more frequently. So I'm excited to get to know some people I don't know. Um, For those who don't know me or those who forgot about me, let's get acquainted a little bit. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about myself. We moved, uh, my wife and and I moved uh, here to this area four years ago. And about two years into the time that we were here, God opened up an opportunity for us to move to San Francisco, and we felt like he was opening up a door for us to plant a new church. So we've been leading a house church there for a couple years. That now is transforming in a way, um, sort of winding down the the, the version we had of it, and we're focusing in on a neighborhood in the southeast part of San Francisco to plant, have a worship service, have home groups, and launch something like that. So that's where we're in the middle of. We're praying to see what God wants us to do. So in the meantime, we get to spend a little extra time with you guys, so that's fun. Um, if you want to see a picture of my beautiful kids and my wife, there, there they are. You can see I have my muscle shirt on. Um, didn't quite get enough of the shot there for you to see my bicep. But um, there's Sarah, my wife, and uh, Annabelle's three, and Ainsley, the little one, she's eight months. This is a hike we just did to a, um, in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park when we went on a little vacation. So um, I heard last week you got some good uh, nature Uh, a slide show so I felt like I could throw my own uh, slide up there of us on a hike. So uh, that's my family. So we'd love to get to know you. If you see those little kiddos around, feel free to hang out, pick them up, enjoy the joy on their faces, the smiles especially. So that's a bit about me. Um, All right, here we are. We are continuing our series, All Have Gifts. So grab a Bible and open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And here's what we're going to do. Um, As we look at Romans 12, we are going to look at a list of spiritual gifts in verses 6 to 8. And we're going to focus in on three related gifts under the broad kind of picture of gifts of teaching. And these are teaching, prophecy, and exhortation. So we're going to focus in on those three. What I want you to grasp this morning, and this is the big picture here, is that central to the task of building up the church is the illuminating and applying of the Bible, of Scripture. That's what we'll be talking about, and that's what we'll be discovering. So let's read the text that we have. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and we'll hand a Bible to you. You're welcome to keep it if you don't own one. So raise your hand if you need a Bible, and uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Everybody good? All right. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6, verses 6 to 8. This is the word of the Lord. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, we'll stop there. And you can see in this passage there's a whole list of gifts that that the Apostle Paul writes as he's writing to the church in Rome. Now he's not writing to give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. We see spiritual gifts mentioned in other parts of the Bible, and we've been looking at them already in this series, and we will in the future. But Paul's point here is to give examples to prove the main point he's making in the whole chapter. All right? That the church is a place where there's unity in diversity. And especially in areas, things like spiritual gifts. So if you glance at at the rest of the chapter, you'll see this. You'll see that Paul really wants the church in Rome to humbly and sacrificially use the diversity of their gifts within the church membership to build each other up and to grow more mature. Something we've been talking about already in this series. But before we focus in on the three gifts that I want to talk about today, which is teaching, prophecy, and exhortation, I want to make sure we, 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 are, we are clear and we step back a bit and understand the grand purpose of spiritual gifts. Let's look back at verse 6. Let's read that, at least the first line of verse 6 again together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, uh, who's an underliner, kind of a note taker? Anybody? Okay, if you're an underliner, underline the words... Gifts and grace. It's no accident that Paul uses those two words. They're actually the same word. Okay? And in English, we see them as two different words. But the idea of of using, of gifts and grace, Paul uses as an emphasis to teach us something very important about the purpose of spiritual gifts. One thing that we have to make a strong point of, we have to embrace the fact that spiritual gifts are gifts. Seems simple, (laughs) but they are given to us, okay? We don't engineer them. We, we don't take a class or get a degree in a particular spiritual gift. We don't, we don't uh, have spiritual gifts derived from within, uh, something that's dependent on our abilities. They are given to you from the outside, something God does under his sovereign will. Okay, not only that, they're gifts, but Paul is careful to note that they're given according to, look at the words, according to the grace given to us. Now, the very word grace means giving you a gift you don't deserve. Here's the point. God freely gives gifts to the church. So if your gift is wisdom, it's not because you're special. If your gift is teaching, it's not because you're smarter than everyone else. Or if your gift is compassion, it's not that God says, wow, you're very empathetic. I think instead we have to turn our attention to the fact that God God has chosen to distribute gifts as an act of his grace. This should keep us from boasting, right? Of of being proud about the spiritual gifts we have. We've maybe talked about that already in this series. That It it keeps us from comparing to each other or wishing we had a different gift. It, It gives us the freedom to embrace God's willful and sovereign choice to give gifts as he sees fit. But let me me take that a step farther. Um, Why is it important that we acknowledge that God is sovereignly in control of of graciously giving gifts? I believe the answer lies in the purpose of spiritual gifts themselves. Let's dive into that a bit. I, I think we need to place or understand that the whole conversation about spiritual gifts is placed within the context of God's plan for all of history. Let me explain that. Maybe we could ask it this way. What is the goal of creation? What is the, the, the telos or the end purpose and goal of why we exist? It is to worship and glorify God. Exactly. It is, it, it, I believe that if you look at The entire course of human history, or if you honestly evaluate your own experiences, you will see that we are worshipping something all the time. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to idolize uh, knowledge and wisdom and place themselves on the throne instead of God, uh, we've we've been worshipping the wrong things as human beings, So we literally, over the course of history, have worshipped wood and metal idols, like literally figures. We've worshipped emperors. We've worshipped entertainment. We've worshipped celebrities. We've worshipped uh, political agendas. We've worshipped knowledge. We've worshipped ourselves. We've worshipped all kinds of things. And I don't care, and I don't think it matters whether you're religious or not. Uh, whether you even care to pick a side or to choose. I think if you take an honest look deep down in your heart, or you honestly evaluate how you live life each day, I think you'll come to realize that you're worshiping something. Okay? I, I, scripture, I think the scriptures teach us that human beings are wired or created to follow something or to submit our will to someone. We do it. We can't help it. We worship That's what we do. But the Bible is a story about how God is acting in history to redeem a people for himself, a group of worshipers, a family of worshipers. And this is made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, okay? That that the, the Holy Spirit now can indwell you and you can be empowered and changed and transformed to now turn your hearts towards the living God and be transformed and changed. To to turn away from the lesser things and to worship the one being that is worthy of our worship. The living God. Okay, now this is a process, right? I could do a whole other sermon on how it's a process. But this is where the life of the church and where spiritual gifts come into play. Okay, the the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, I hope it will be up on the screen here. He said this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, don't miss this. You're like a piece of limestone that God selected and cut from the quarry. But you're pretty rough around the edges. You have jagged pieces of stone sticking out that will cut people. And it's almost impossible to snuggle you up against another stone and have it look really beautiful in that temple of God's people that he's building because you've got things that need to be changed and transformed. So I think, if honestly, you'd look more like a boulder or like a rock that came off of a landslide. But this is where the God-given community of the church comes alive. You see, spiritual gifts are like the tools in a stonemason's toolbox. To smooth out a beautiful shape from a rough cut rock. To to grind down those rough edges or to repair cracks. To to, to polish that stone into a beautiful and magnificent addition to the incredible temple that God is creating for himself. The very people of God. You see, God has each of us on a process to become more like Jesus. Jesus. Transforming us to be worshipers. And the process is utterly dependent on God's sovereign grace and his wise distribution of spiritual gifts so that the church is healthy and effective at maturing and growing disciples. Okay, this is the grand picture of the purpose of spiritual gifts, right? And I think it's clear from these examples and from Scripture that we need each other. We need and we have a responsibility to each other to practice our spiritual gifts. Because if we don't, I think we'll be hurting each other. We'd be stunting each other's growth. We'd be squandering an opportunity to participate in the very thing that God is doing in history to redeem a people for himself. I want to be a part of that story. Not in theory, but as all of us as a community are following Jesus together in the real muck and real things of life. That's where spiritual gifts come alive. Wow, I've basically preached a whole sermon already. Um, (laughs) uh, This this overview or this big picture of spiritual gifts, I think really helps us to understand the place of teaching and prophecy and exhortation. And that's what we're going to dive into next. Because here's a foundation I want to build on here. I believe that God is most concerned with heart transformation. With, with making you into a new creation, with changing you from the inside out so that every aspect of who you are, how you live, what you value, what you worship ultimately is now redefined and changed and oriented towards God. Spiritual gifts are tools for that project, right? What I want you to see is that, uh, especially this morning in these, in these three gifts, teaching, prophecy, and exhortation, is that these are like power tools in that project. They're the heavy machinery. All are important. These are important as well. So let's dive in. Um, Let me talk about the gift of teaching first. We're going to talk about the gift of teaching. Now, um, remember those three verses we read in Romans 12. It can be a little difficult to get a grasp of what does the Scripture teach us about teaching from this little section. Because Paul's not concerned with explaining the gift of teaching. He just says, if you've got the gift, use it. So we have to look elsewhere in the New Testament and sort of put the pieces together here. What I want you to see here is in the New Testament, the idea of teaching is a very dynamic and, uh, and robust and complicated thing. Not complicated in a bad way, but it's so deep in how it explains it. Even in the New Testament, in the words that are used for teaching, you've got the word, the actual word for teaching, you've got the word for preaching, proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, and declaring, as well as maybe some other words that we could apply to that. But, but I've found it most helpful, and hopefully this helps you, to think of the gift of teaching as having two related concepts, things that we talk about differently in our language, in, in our culture. The first is teaching as a concept. Teaching, and hopefully you don't get confused by the terminology, under the big umbrella of the gift of teaching, we have teaching as a thing. It is aimed at your head. It's, it's primarily about imparting knowledge, Okay? It, it, it is an increase of information. It's important because we need to know more about God. It's vital to your growth. But another related idea, and there's overlap here. I think most of the New Testament actually focuses more on what we would call preaching. Preaching is aimed at your heart. You see, preaching is a spirit-filled proclamation of biblical truth with the goal of heart transformation. It's aimed at your situation today. This is where the power and the authority of God's word are felt. In here. Not just understood. Where, where, where the Holy Spirit illuminates and convicts. Where, where the personality and the life of the person who's speaking come alive and, and help to apply and make an impassioned plea for apprehension of the gospel. Okay, look at how uh, Paul talks about his preaching. This is 1 Corinthians 2. And it'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. He says this about his own preaching. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you see how Paul recognizes that when he speaks, when he preaches, when he teaches, it is about God demonstrating his power, not about Paul being crafty and eloquent. Okay, preaching has been, this type of preaching, teaching, has been a pillar of the church since Peter's sermon in Acts 2, right at the beginning. And I think it will always be so, because it is a a fundamental way in which the gospel truth penetrates a heart. Okay. Haddon Robinson, um, who's a, a gifted preacher, uh, he's, he's older now. Um, he's a, one of the most gifted preachers of the last generation. He described preaching this way. It'll be up on the screen as well. He says it's, a, it's communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context. Which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through the preacher applies to the hearers. Okay, don't miss this. Do you see how Robinson says that the passage is first applied by the Holy Spirit to the preacher? It's not because that person's special or has something unique to bring to the table in and of themselves. I think, and maybe more so, this is a perfect example about how God in His grace and His sovereign will has chosen to use actual people with actual gifts to to grow us into worshipers of God. It is central to how Jesus chooses to build His church. That, That God uses people to communicate the gospel. So, I challenge you with this. If, if you don't have a heart that is willing to be transformed by the Holy Spirit through the teaching or preaching of somebody who is gifted in that way by God's grace, then you'll be stunted in your spiritual growth. Okay. We've got a, we've, we've done a lot of work there on the gift of teaching. Um, I want to move on to the gift of prophecy. And as we move through these, I'm going to tie them together and you'll see how they all actually are wedded and work together. So let's move on to the gift of prophecy now. Um, this can be a challenging one. Okay? Um, when it, w- maybe I can ask you this. What comes to your mind when you think of the word or hear the word prophecy? You think of Harry Potter? Anybody? <laughs> maybe you do. Uh, m- maybe you think of, uh, of an end times chart from the 80s uh, predicting the future, um, ever evolving, I suppose. Uh, maybe you think of just the idea of predicting the future. That's what prophecy is, okay? Um, this can go all kinds of ways and actually go awry in a lot of ways. Um, one of my favorite websites these days, um, to just get a good chuckle, is to look at a, a satirical Christian news website called the Babylon Bee. Highly recommend it. There's a news article on there last month that was, um, said this. You'll see it up here. Modern-day prophet batting an impressive 300. Okay, baseball metaphor, for those of you who don't get that. 300 would be great. I wish some of the Giants players would be able to hit that well. Um, Nobody's a Giants fan, apparently, either. (laughs) So here's what this article goes on to say. Listen to this. Local prophet evangelist, apostle healer, David Baker's accurate prophecy average, APA, is hovering just above 300, edging out all other prophesiers to take the lead. Okay, going into Sunday's prayer and healing service, Baker was sitting at a still respectable 292 average, but he had a strong showing in today's service to overtake two other apostle healers. Okay, of course it's ridiculous, right? This is making light of following uh, of, this is making light of the type of predictive prophecy where you walk around telling people what's going to be happening next in their life, which I think crosses a line, and I'll show and I'll talk about what I mean from, from our study of this, uh, uh, that really relies more on the ability of a person or showing up other people. And I don't think that that's going to be what we want to see here. So let me share what I believe the Bible teaches as a whole about the issue or the gift of prophecy. And I think we need to be careful to understand that there is something special or unique about the prophets we see in the Old Testament and the era of the apostles in the New Testament at the beginning of the church. Okay, the Old Testament prophets... They lived in an era when the scriptures were in the process of being written. Okay, the same goes for the apostles, those who were with Jesus. They were used by the Holy Spirit literally to write the Bible. It was a unique period of history. Okay? They spoke with direct divine authority. They didn't err. They, they were listened to as the very voice of God. But I think there's a shift in the concept of prophecy as the church forms and as especially as the, the scriptures are, are formed. No longer is prophecy about adding new revelations from God. I think it's more about turning, uh, it's turning into more of an interpreting and applying and encouraging others with the truth of scripture that's already written down. So take one example here. This is 1 Corinthians 14. This is right in the middle of that messy situation where the church is growing. It's the first generation of the church. But we already get a little bit of a picture of this. We read it already this morning. 1 Corinthians 14.3. Paul's writing about how much greater prophecy is than speaking in tongues, which is something we'll talk about in a future week. He says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Okay, here Paul is saying that prophecy exists for the sake of others. It doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist to, to have you impress people with your personal piety or to build you up and make you feel close to God or, or, or to, to, to somehow impress others. It's about building others up and encouraging them. He's writing about the type of prophecy that's done by regular Christians, not super prophets and apostles. I like to call this lowercase p prophecy. Maybe you could put it that way. It's not about predicting the future or contributing new divinely inspired truth or something. It's not reserved for extraordinary people. I think it's simple, lowercase prophecy, simple. It is when ordinary Christians simply report something that God has brought to their mind related to the condition of someone's heart or of a a specific situation with the goal of encouraging and building someone up. It's a combination of the truth of God's word, the experiences that you've had, and penetrating at a heart level to encourage someone. Now, this might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but I believe and I think the scriptures teach us that it is possible for someone with the gift of prophecy through, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course, to, to offer guidance or, or a warning or encouragement or a perspective on a situation that you're in. It's not this big show, okay? It may be done quietly or in a personal conversation. But here's the key. It's always consistent with or derived from biblical truth, the truth that's already there. And, and it must be for the building up of another believer or applying the, the scriptures to your situation. Okay, you see, teaching and preaching are primarily uh, about proclamation. It's the first gift we talked about. Prophecy crosses over into more in an idea of application. It's dependent on the presence and guiding of the spirit to speak prophetically. And it's also dependent on the Spirit for us as we hear something someone says to discern whether it's consistent with Scripture. This is why our our, our text in verse 6, Romans 12, 6, it says that if you prophesy, you should prophesy in in proportion to our faith. And I think maybe an easier way to describe that actually or translate that is in accordance with the faith. Meaning it must be in alignment with the doctrines of what we believe. Okay, this can be a challenging one to wrap our mind around. The goal is not to have those with the gift of prophecy going around our community telling people how to solve their problems or predicting the thing they're going to do next week or to, to have some special new insight into the ways of God. Okay, it's, I think that's missing the point and can be destructive. But rather, maybe it would be helpful to think about the gift of prophecy as more of a, a God-given ability to speak prophetically. I, what I mean is that some people in this congregation have the gift of lovingly and powerfully challenging your heart to move you towards greater transformation. These people speak to difficult situations with boldness. They, they call us back to biblical truth. They hold our feet to the fire about what we believe, personally and, and as a community. They do it in such a way that you know that they love and care about you deeply. I had a, a mentor of mine who, who was a prophetic influence in my life. When I finished high school, I joined him as an intern with our college ministry at the church in San Jose where I was going. And uh, I'll never forget one moment we had a meeting, um, at just a planning meeting. We were getting coffee in downtown San Jose. And I was, at the time, working 30 hours a week at a job. I had full load of classes. I was dating my soon-to-be wife Sarah, I guess, like a few years later. Um, I was also interning with him. I was overworked, but I had not necessarily recognized that. He sits down with me and looks across the table and says, "Um, would you like to help me out with the annual church barbecue for our church this year? He almost didn't finish a sentence. I said, sure, I can do that. He cuts me off and says, no, you don't, or no, you can't. I said, I was sort of stunned. I said, "What what do you mean I can't? And he slowly reaches in his bag, he pulled out his Bible, and he opened his Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 36. And he said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And he looked at me like that. (laughs) Okay? Uh, He said, you and I both know that you are too busy, and you cannot say no to things. And if you can't learn to say no, I'm going to have to say no for you. <laughs> this man boldly called me out on something, deriving this challenge from Scripture, and did it because he loved me and wanted to see something change. Speaking prophetically into my life. Now, there's a lot of ways, and that's one, you know, maybe small example. There's, there's a lot of ways we can be Prophetic. We are living in a time where where, where we need our brothers and sisters with the gift of prophecy to speak up, to to point out our blind spots, to to call us to biblical truth, especially on issues today like issues of racism or human trafficking or a whole host of social issues that are going on. Not only those things, but the things that we are dealing with in our own lives on a daily basis. We need people with prophetic voices to cast a vision for gospel-centered community. For, for, for a church that is dedicated to the historic doctrines of our faith and to hold our feet to the fire for loving God and loving our neighbors. We need those people today. Okay, that's a little uh, window into the gift of prophecy. Let me move on to the third uh, one here, and I'll tie it all together in a minute. We're going to look lastly at the gift of exhortation. Okay, the gift of exhortation. You might already be thinking of that word, wow, that's a big churchy word. Very pious, you know. I have the gift of exhortation. Uh, Sounds really great. Well, let me bring it down to earth a little bit, okay? The gift of exhortation is simple. It is to, it means to instill someone with courage or to embolden someone in their belief or action. Okay, this is vital to the bigger picture of heart transformation that we were just talking about. Think about this. The Christian life is about redeeming a lost soul, about, about repairing broken relationships, about, about undoing the damage of sin and our separation from God. It is about a, a, a transform, transformation of every part of who you are. And that is no small task. It's a process and a journey that will leave you discouraged and down many days. We need people in our lives who will kneel down beside us, put their arm around us, give us a hand to hold. We need people who will instill us with courage to get back up, to, to, to embolden us. We need exhortation that, that is like the embrace of your best friend or, or a talk with your mom and dad. Our weary hearts need people who can get who can help us get up when we stumble and give us the courage to carry on. Okay, exhorters are counselors, visionaries, drill sergeants, and loving grandparents all rolled up into one. That's what an exhorter is. What a blessing to have that in the church. Okay, let me pause here to, to, to kind of draw out or, or consider how these things, the, the prophecy, or teaching, prophecy, and exhortation work together. And maybe talk about how they apply here for this community. These things are are, are wedded together, teaching, prophecy, and exhortation. Because, listen to this, we base our understanding of God and his truth and, and the gospel from this book. Teaching helps us understand the scriptures. And then prophecy and exhortation help us apply the scriptures. All with the goal of the Holy Spirit using it to transform us. Okay, who's been uh, watching the Summer Olympics in Rio? Anybody? Okay. You don't have to be shy. I mean, you can be, yes, I've been watching the Olympics. I actually prefer the Winter Olympics for whatever weird reason. I love watching cross-country skiing. Um, Strange, I know, but I'll sit there for hours and watch cross-country skiing for some reason. So I can't wait for a year and a half from now when there's another Winter Olympics I'll be gone as a hermit for a couple weeks. So in the what I love, though, about the Olympics, and hopefully you get this too when you watch, there's something so special about the, the, the breaking down of political barriers or, or, or other barriers. There's, there's something special about the, the, the unity that there is in humanity in, in the Olympics, that, that you realize that people that are your enemies are people too, that, that the agony of defeat and the joy of victory are the same for everyone. That's special. But but what I especially marvel at when I watch the Olympics is the crazy athletic feats that human beings are capable of. Okay, the older that I the older I get, the more impressed I am, because when I was younger I was like, oh yeah, come on, I could do that. Right? Just I could practice a little bit and I bet I could do that flip. No way. Especially when I watch gymnastics, okay? That's the one that's impressed me the most this time around. I'm watching these gymnasts do things that are incredible feats of physical strength and of balance and incredible things. And they make it look effortless. It's unbelievable. But you know what? We are watching athletes at the top of their field in the highest level of competition on the planet, We're witnessing the culmination of of years of training and and preparation. So the achievements we watch when somebody wins a medal are the result of tens of thousands of hours of practice. The Apostle Paul talked about the Christian life like running a race. He was familiar as as a Roman citizen and and living in the the Greek-Roman world with the Greek athletic contests. He understood and knew what the Olympics were. He said this actually towards the end of his life. It's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7. It'll be up there on the screen. He says this as he's reflecting back on his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He viewed his life as a follower of Jesus like a long race. And he was grateful to reflect on his life and be able to say, I kept the faith. I think we could say that successful Olympic athletes probably had people in their lives who were like teachers, prophets, and exhorters. Okay, use your imagination for a moment. Imagine that you want to be an Olympic gymnast. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't want to do that. Imagine that you wanted to be an Olympic gymnast, okay? Just saying that you want to be a gymnast or that you've committed your life to gymnastics doesn't get you very far in that skill. Someone has to teach you how to strengthen your body. Uh, They have to teach you the technical skills for the the vault and the uneven bars and the balance beam and all these various things. They have to teach you and explain to you the physics of how you turn your body and use your arms and your legs to create momentum and flip, right? You have to learn the skill. Then you have to start practicing. And that instruction, of course, doesn't end. It continues throughout the whole process, right? But, but what happens, even though you know and you've got the knowledge of what you're supposed to do, what happens when you get frustrated or when you fall? You keep falling off the balance beam and you can't stay on. You, you, you're, maybe you're afraid of the height of the uneven bars. You, you need a prophet who will help you catch a vision for that, the fact that it is possible to complete that flip. They will look at you and say, it is can be done. I've seen it before, and I know you, and it can be done. They will say, I know it's true. I see things you cannot see. They understand. A prophet can understand how you feel, maybe even having been in your shoes, and can say just the right words to help push you to a new level of understanding. But you might also need an exhorter. You see, knowledge is important, catching a vision for what's possible is important of course but there will be moments when you are beat up and tired there're going to be moments when you when, when your heart is so discouraged that you can't even go on i mean emotionally you are beat up this is the moment when you say i can't do it anymore when you, just, when you fall for the hundredth time and you just lay there on your back and you don't even want to get up, your heart isn't in it anymore. No instruction on the physics of gymnastics or, or a vision of the future of standing on the podium will get you off of that mat. It's hopeless. But in that moment, and just then, your friend, your best friend, walks over and sits down on the mat with you. She doesn't say anything at first. She just lets that moment of despair linger for a few minutes. She lovingly and confidently puts her arm around you. And just the touch of her hand on your shoulder stirs something deep in your heart. Maybe she looks you straight in the eye, knowing full well that you are at rock bottom. And you're emotionally in pieces. And she speaks softly and slowly words of encouragement. Maybe she reminds you of why you fell in love with gymnastics in the first place. Or, or why, how, how, telling you stories through tears about how she saw you overcome obstacles that you did not think were possible. She tells you that she loves you no matter what. Every word penetrating your heart and filling you with courage and boldness to stand back up. You feel a a renewed sense of purpose and excitement for the challenges that you face because your friend didn't give you a cheesy pep talk. It was a heart-level day of reckoning. And you have the strength to carry on because your friend loved you and encouraged you and embraced you in your darkest moment. See, friends, we're, every one of us is on the race toward heaven to be with, to be with God, and, and we need teachers. We need prophets, and we need exhorters. You see, God has designed the church to grow and mature as his new covenant community, the, the, the new people of God to be his worshipers. He designed us to grow and mature as some of those in our midst teach us, speak truth to us, And pick us up and embolden us and still us with courage when we are in dark, dark places. So if you have the gift of teaching, this church family desperately needs you. Or if you can speak prophetically into the life of others, we desperately need you. Or if you can... Can, can bend down and, and give a hand to hold and encourage and put your arm around somebody when they're in a dark place to give them courage to carry on. We desperately need you. We can praise God for how he chose in his sovereign will and his design for this church, for Solano Community Church, that he's equipped people here in this room with the gift of teaching, prophecy, and exhortation. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. As we together exercise our spiritual gifts to build each other up, to, to help each other grow in maturity as worshipers of the living God. What an amazing journey we get to do together as we all do that. Wow, let's pray. God, we worship you. Boy, that's what we were created to do. And Lord, we know that just like those rough cut stones that we were talking about, that, that, that we, we together as we exercise our spiritual gifts are, 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 are grinding down the rough edges and cutting off the pieces that don't need to be there. And, and dealing with issues that we're we're being polished and hewn into a beautiful stone to be a part of the, the people of God in the temple that you're building, to be worshipers of you, Lord. Lord, those here, all of us to whom you have graciously given a gift, something we don't deserve or is based on our ability, God, you have graciously given you a gift by the Holy Spirit for us to use to build each other up. Let us exercise them, Lord, for your glory as we all grow. We thank you for the teachers, prophets, and exhorters among us. In Jesus' name, amen.